The reading today is from Matthew 6, verse 1 to 13. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will, not have, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Morning, everyone. Great to be here. Particularly warm welcome if you're new or visiting with us. Uh, We're delighted to have you here and hope you find the time with us uh, really enjoyable. This morning, uh, we're kicking off, as Matt has said, uh, seven weeks thinking about prayer. We're using the Lord's Prayer, which we've just read from, uh, to help structure our thinking there. Um, But this morning, um, as we kick off, I've got a brief thought experiment for you, not something you have to necessarily talk with the people beside you about, but just, just something for you to think through. If, if I put this word on the screen, if I say to you the word prayer, what are the other words that come to mind? You know, the word associations. What, what are the other things that come to mind when I say prayer? I mean, perhaps it's words like gift and blessing and joy because that's what prayer is for you. Maybe you think of the, the sorts of things that we do in prayer. You know, we, we thank God, we praise Him, we, we ask Him for help, we confess our sins. Maybe you're thinking about what prayer is to you. For some of us, there might be words like constant and, and, and frequent and deep. But I wonder whether, if we're honest, some of those words might have been something more like hard, confusing, distracted, occasional. I don't know. What words come to mind for you? Because in my experience, when it comes to living as a Christian, prayer is one of the practical areas that people have the most questions about. After all, it's a central part of our relationship with God and on the one hand, it's the most natural thing to do, to thank Him, to praise Him, to cry out to Him in times of need. And yet on the other hand, let's be honest, it can also feel like the most unnatural of things to do sometimes. I'm sure many of you have felt like me at different points, like perhaps you're talking to the ceiling and you're just wondering whether God is actually out there hearing what you're saying. Then, of course, there are all of the questions that we have about prayer. I mean, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people with the theoretical questions about prayer. Does prayer change anything? If God is all-knowing and is all-powerful, then won't He just do what He wants to do anyway? 
And then, of course, there's the practical questions. How do I pray? When do I pray? What should I pray about? But it's not just the stuff we think about prayer, is it? I don't know about you, but prayer, surely, it brings a whole bunch of feelings with it. Maybe it's the guilt that we're not praying more, the disappointment when prayers go unanswered, or even just that awkward kind of sense that it's just hard to work out how to fit it into the busyness of, day, of the day. There are so many things that are way more in your face than, than prayer. Now, none of that might describe your situation, but I suspect for, for many of us, some of it will resonate. And my point in kind of thinking about that is that it's actually a good thing that we're open and we're real about some of the joys and the struggles that we have in prayer because it's an area that the Bible has heaps to say about. And in fact, it's one of the things that Jesus had a lot to say about and it goes right to the heart of our relationship with God. You know, at various points, Jesus spoke about specific things to pray for. At other times, he talked about our attitude of prayer, of humility or perseverance or boldness and not doing it for the sake of others, as we just read from the passage there. Yeah, Jesus told a number of parables about prayer, some of them really confronting. There's one parable about a, a widow constantly demanding justice and we're kind of wrestling with what that might tell us about God. On the other hand, there's stories that are kind of funny. There's a, there's a bloke that just woke up his neighbour in the middle of the night because he hadn't been organised enough to make sure he had a loaf of bread in the house and needed something to feed his, his house guest. It's kind of this funny story that says, yes, you should pray like a really annoying neighbour. The point is, Jesus said heaps about prayer. Sometimes it was funny. Sometimes it was really pointy. and Sometimes it was just a brief aside. Sometimes it was the main thing that he was talking about. So as we kick off the next seven weeks learning about prayer, I think it's really good for us to be okay with all of our, our questions and our, and our hang-ups with prayer because it's pretty clear that Jesus recognised it was something that we needed to be taught and trained in, equipped in. But before we dive into it, there's actually something else that Jesus had a lot to say about too. Something that's really important for us to keep in mind when we're thinking about prayer. You see, Jesus didn't speak about prayer in its, in its own little box, as if it's some kind of technique to be mastered, or it's the tool that when I need, I bring out the hammer and go to God in prayer. Everything he said about prayer was actually kind of set inside a broader picture of what Jesus taught about where the world is and where it's going. Now, if you're new to Christianity, it, it can come as a surprise to realise just how clear Jesus was about the future of the world. Jesus spoke about it very clearly, about where this world is headed. Now, we've just read, Jenny just read for us, some of Jesus' words recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Well, just a couple of chapters earlier, Matthew summed up the core of Jesus' preaching ministry. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 17, he sort of presents this to us as the summary statement of everything that Jesus was on about. When he began teaching, we read that from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That, that was the core of Jesus' message. That wherever he is, God's kingly rule has come near. And so Jesus said, we need to repent, we need to, we need to sort out our relationship with God, to, to turn from doing things our own way and be prepared to meet God 
as king. That was his core message. And, and he taught that the kingdom of heaven, it had come near because, and he made the radical claim, that he is the king of that kingdom. So when Jesus was near, so too was the kingdom of God. And as his mission unfolded, Jesus gradually explained to his disciples that actually this was a two-stage process. You see, first Jesus came to save us through dying on the cross and rising to new life. And as we sit here today, that much has already happened. But, but then at some point, Jesus anticipated that he would come again to wrap up all of human history and to rebuild all of creation, to bring the kingdom of heaven and earth together. And his whole ministry was about prepping his disciples and indeed the rest of us to be that crowd of people living between those two climactic points in human history. Between the day the kingdom came near in Jesus and when it will come in its fullness when he returns. And that big picture, that one truth, that runs right through everything that Jesus did and said. So, for example, we often think of Jesus, he's a, he's a great healer, wonderful, compassionate man. But when he healed someone of leprosy, that wasn't just an act of, of kindness to a poor, suffering person. It, it absolutely was that, but it was more. It was a sign of the kingdom of heaven breaking into our experience, and it was a foretaste of what was to come on that great day to come. And you're like, wow, that's a Big picture theology going on there. The reason I mention this is because it's the same with prayer. And I don't think we, we kind of consider this very often. But Jesus, when he spoke about prayer, he spoke about it in, in light of that same big picture. Christians pray in light of the end. We pray knowing that the way the world is, is not how it will always be. And we'll see over the coming weeks... But that changes everything. Matt's going to unpack that in particular over the next couple of Sundays, but we'll see it running right through the next couple of months. Because the future of the world shaped everything that Jesus said about prayer. And therefore, it needs to shape the way that we think and talk and, and go about praying as well. So, we're going to think about that over the next couple of weeks, but I think it's really important for us to have in mind before we even get started. Jesus said a lot about prayer and he put it all in the context of where this world is headed. So today we, we kick this off reflecting on one of the simplest things that Jesus taught his disciples about prayer, which turns out it's probably actually one of the most controversial things that he taught about prayer. If you've ever paused and just wondered what was the most surprising, what was the most controversial thing that Jesus said about prayer. It was actually who he taught his disciples to pray to, who they pray to. That's what we're going to reflect on this morning. In fact, it's something so controversial that it's, it's right at the heart of, of the very reason why the religious leaders of the day wanted to crucify Jesus. That's how controversial this got. It all comes down to who Jesus taught his disciples to pray to. You see... That might sound quite odd. I mean, Jesus taught his disciples to pray to God, didn't he? And surely there's nothing controversial about that. I mean, God has made himself known to be the one who's full of might and power. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He's the only one worthy of our attention. If we're thinking, well, I want something changed, 
I should go to God because that's how I, I kind of, I know that he's the one that can change things. So there's nothing controversial about praying to God, surely. Even the unbelievers do that. I mean, even if it's just sort of muttered under their breath when, when things go south, when life is tough, oh my God. It's just our natural response at so many points. What could possibly be controversial about praying to God? Well, it's because Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now, most of us don't even notice just how radical that is. Maybe it's because we've been saying it for years. Maybe, on the other hand, it's because our, our thoughts are already turning to the, the things we want to ask, not the person that we're praying to. But I want us to pause on that. Because Jesus taught his disciples something truly remarkable here. That they could call God their Father. They could approach the God who rules over the whole universe, not just trembling in fear, but as their Father. Now, during the time that I served as one of the pastoral staff team down at Trinity Church, North Adelaide, right there on North Terrace, big old building, Main Street frontage, we would often have people walking in off the street coming to ask us all kinds of questions and for help and advice and things. One day I was called down by the reception staff to talk to a young man who had some questions about prayer. Now, this young man, he'd grown up in Saudi Arabia, we're going to call him Ahmed, he'd grown up in a Muslim family in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and, and living in Saudi Arabia, he'd never had the opportunity to find out much at all about Christianity but now as an international student here in Adelaide, well he had the freedom to ask questions that he couldn't have ever considered back at home. But life was hard for Ahmed and he was anxious, he had lots of questions and he wanted to know what it meant for a Christian to pray. Now, it's not often that I've had an idea pop into my head that I thought I could actually attribute to the inspiration of God but I think in this conversation, it, it occurred to me that, well, coming from Saudi Arabia, Ahmed had a very particular experience and, and perspective on the privilege of approaching power and authority. So I said, Ahmed, Ahmed, that's a great question. We chatted a little bit about what was going on in life. I said, Ahmed, what would happen if you wanted to ask a question of King Salman of Saudi Arabia? It's not like my geography is brilliant, it's just that their royal family had been in the news recently. But I said, what would, ha what would happen? What would happen if you wanted to talk to King Salman of Saudi Arabia? And he looked at me, kind of puzzled. He's like, well, that would never happen. You can't do that. No one goes near him. I said, I know, I know, but run with the idea for a moment. What would happen if you tried to approach King Salman because you wanted to talk to him? He said, you wouldn't get near him. What do you mean? Why not? He said, well, you would get shot. His security guards don't mess around. You would get nowhere near him. They would shoot you. No question at all. That is just how it is. I said, so it would be pretty futile to try and approach the king. It wouldn't matter what you wanted to talk to him about. It would be a lost cause. He says, yes but what has this got to do with how Christians pray? I said, well, run with the, run with the analogy for me a little bit here. I said, what's the, what's the name of the crown prince? He was in the news you know, just recently. He had to remind me it was Prince Muhammad, yes. What would happen if you came with Crown Prince Muhammad to speak to the king? He was a very patient guy, but even now he was getting a little bit puzzled. He's like, Simon, this... <laughs> This wouldn't happen either. Like, you can't get near him either. I said, I know, I know, but, but run with me. Like, if you could, if you happened to be a friend of the Crown Prince Muhammad and you went with him to speak with his father. And he was very gracious, he humoured me, and, but he was puzzled. He just thought, yeah, it would be totally different. 
it would be totally different. The friends of the crown prince, they are treated like, they are treated like royalty. The, the security guards wouldn't even dare to make eye contact with you. They'll just stand there as you wander on by because you are treated like royalty. I said, well, I mean, that's how Christians pray. We have no right to approach God on our own. But the Son of God, the crown prince, well, Jesus invites us to come with him to speak to his father. Now, I knew that that was setting up a question that Ahmed was just going to have right on the tip of his tongue because coming from a Muslim background, he just went, whoa, how can Jesus be the Son of God? I wasn't surprised by that. That's where our conversation went. It was a great conversation to have. But what it meant was that in that conversation, we didn't even get to the remarkable truth that my analogy couldn't stretch to. Because what is even more remarkable for us is that Jesus didn't just invite us to come with him to pray to his Father. He taught his disciples to pray to our Father. And we've got to get our heads around just how amazing this is. You see, in all of the prayers of the Old Testament, no one dared to call God Father. No one. Not Abraham, not Moses, none of the prophets. No one approaches God as Father. He is the Lord Almighty. When he tells his people what name they should address him with, it's, it's Yahweh. It's a play on the Hebrew word, I am Because God just is, he's not dependent on anyone, he is so separate, so great, so profound that he's always been, he just is. He's might and power and justice and truth. He's the God that he revealed himself through a pillar of fire, through smoke, through through earthquakes, so that we wouldn't be tempted to think of him too small in our minds or, or too small in our lives. Of course, he makes himself known as loving and kind and merciful and patient. But while God is described as a father to his people, only the Messiah, his anointed one, is given the special privilege of actually addressing God as father. With that kind of familiarity, that kind of casual intimacy that he could call him his father. Up until Jesus, no one had dared called God my father. And we know how groundbreaking this was for the early church because of the way that they passed it on to each other. And we've just read from Matthew's Gospel, right? And he records a block of teaching that we commonly know as the Sermon on the Mount. If we cast our eyes over it, if you even just look over what we read um, just now, you see how many times Jesus refers to your father, your father, your father in heaven. It clearly imprinted on Matthew's memory that this was consistently the way that Jesus talked about God as father. John's Gospel, John is the same. When he highlights that Jesus was constantly talking about God as his Father and invited his disciples to do the same thing. But it seems that the moment that was really seared in the consciousness of the early church was the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was betrayed, arrested, handed over to be crucified and as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark's gospel records for us this this scene and what's really fascinating is that Mark, he's careful to record the specific word that Jesus used in, in the language of Aramaic, that was kind of the street language that Jesus and his disciples and all the people were talking on the street and it's fascinating that Mark keeps it because he wrote the gospel in Greek, that was kind of the trade language, the international language, you want to send a, a letter into state, you don't write it in Aramaic because they don't speak that there, you write it in Greek because that's kind of the common language. 
Mark translates everything Jesus says into the Greek, but he kept this one word in the original language, and our English Bibles do it too, to help us to see its importance. We're going to have a look at it, because this, this is Jesus, knowing that he's about to face the immense suffering of the cross. It's not just a physical suffering, but it's him bearing God's judgment upon the sin of the whole world. And Jesus cries out in prayer, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba. Mark keeps that word because it's so significant. That's Aramaic for dad. It's familiar. It's intimate. It's humble. It's not childish, kind of like we might say daddy. It's respectful but familiar, like I would call my father dad. And I want to pause on this to show you just how important this was to the early church so that we can appreciate a little bit more just how incredible it is for us. Because Mark's gospel, that's widely recognised as recording the memories of the apostle Peter. And Peter was there in the garden on that night. If we went up just a couple of lines in this passage, we would see that Peter, James and John, they were right next to Jesus. He heard Jesus cry out in prayer, Abba, Dad. And he made such an impression on Peter that, that Mark bothers to keep the Aramaic because it's significant. And that made such an impression on the early church that, well, 20 years later, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he not only taught them that, that Jesus had called God Father, but that they could too. And we know that he, did it, that, that he did it when he planted the church, that that was the first time that he was sharing the gospel and that was what he shared with them because he then wrote to them years later, reminding them that God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father... There's that Aramaic word again. But Galatia is miles from Jerusalem. The Galatians don't speak Aramaic. It was just as foreign to them as it was to us. Paul only uses it because they've heard the story. And that is what Jesus called God. And that's what he taught his disciples to call him too. And it clearly mattered so much to Paul that when he wrote to the church in Rome, he did it again even though the Romans, they were even less likely to speak Aramaic, they're even further away. And that's also even more remarkable because Paul didn't even plant this church in Rome. He wasn't the one that told them the gospel the first time. He'd never even met them. But he knew that when the good news of Jesus spread, people were taught this wonderful truth that Jesus called God, Dad, Abba. What an amazing privilege that the creator of the universe invites us to call him Dad, our Father in Heaven. I mean, it's still it's very respectful, after all, he is in Heaven. But the boldness of it. Friends, we need, we need to get our heads around this before we even start talking about what to say in prayer. Those opening words should blow our minds because it was evidently seared into the hearts and the minds of the earliest followers of Jesus, that he would say, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, Dad. That is the remarkable, incredible privilege of Christian prayer. 
It's so much more than Ahmed getting a foot into the door of the palace of the king of Saudi Arabia. It's even more than the crazy idea that Ahmed could approach the king as his own father, to be treated as his son. Because if you trust in the Lord Jesus, you have the incredible privilege of calling God, the God, the the Lord of all creation, Dad, our Father in heaven. That we can come as his children and, and speak to him. That is what Jesus said prayer is. Now, in our family, we have this funny little thing going on with our kids at the moment. Uh, They've worked out that it's quite cool to find mum and dad's buttons and then press them and be a little bit cheeky and a little bit annoying. And they're onto something at the moment because they love calling out when they want my attention. Simon, instead of dad. and Peter, instead of mum. And I say to them, yes, your mum's name is Peter. Very clever of you. But that's not what you call her. There are only three people in the entire world that get to call this wonderful woman mum. And you're one of them. So that's what you call her. You see, for all of the questions that we might have about prayer, this is where we start. As his child. Talking with our dad. Now, over the coming weeks, we're going to learn a lot more about what Jesus said about prayer. But I think there are at least three simple things for us to reflect on uh, right at the outset here. Um, The first is really an acknowledgement. I want to acknowledge that the concept of God as Father can be tough for some people, depending on our relationship with our earthly father. Your your earthly father might be all sorts of things, perhaps violent and prone to bursts of outrage and, and anger, maybe unreliable and cold, might have just been absent. And I say this knowing the story of many of us here. But I think it's really good to know that the Bible is totally aware of just how bad human fathers can be. It's littered with them and some of them are meant to be the good guys like Lot or Judah or David. Some of the central characters at points, they were terrible fathers. God knows that human fathers can be terrible. He never excuses it but he knows it and he knows that the scars of a broken relationship with our earthly fathers, they run so very, very deep. And yet I think that is part of the beauty of what Jesus teaches us here. Because every point at which your relationship with your earthly father might highlight his failures, his sin, his imperfection, at every point, I think that that aching acknowledgement is a mirror pointing us to the goodness, the longing that we have for the goodness of our relationship with our heavenly father. And so in the same way, for every aspect of your earthly father that you can be thankful for, we've also got to all learn that that is just a faint rumour, a a faint hint of just how wonderful it is to have right relationship with your heavenly father. So isn't it good to know that whatever our experience of our earthly father might be, we can rejoice in calling out to God as our good heavenly father. Well, secondly, for all of the questions that we might have about what to pray and and how to pray, we need to know that this is the relationship in which we pray. And it's a picture of intimacy and safety in the context of His steadfast presence, of the one who His word can be trusted, His promises are sure. This is the safe space where you can let it all hang out. After all, we see that in Jesus Himself. 
most profoundly in that moment of his great distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but your will. Jesus wasn't getting cold feet at this point. It wasn't like, oh, the cross suddenly looks really scary. I don't want to do that anymore. He knew it. He told his disciples exactly what was coming. This was the plan from the very beginning. It's not that he was backing out. But we have this wonderful insight into Jesus just pouring his heart out to his Father. Unashamed, vulnerable, honest. If there's another way, take this cup from me. This was his pain. So he poured it out to his Father. And I have to say, I find this so immensely encouraging. So immensely freeing. It's freeing for me to look on at Jesus' prayer and to know that I don't have to have my prayer all theologically stitched up and kind of run through a filter and ticked and approved and cleared and vetted before I even mention it to God. That I can just pour out my heart. Because after all, God knows what I need before I ask it. He knows what I think before I even think it. The point of prayer is the sharing of my heart in relationship with my Heavenly Father. And as we've seen, those words of Jesus, they were so powerful for his disciples that they didn't just remember what Jesus prayed, but they remember the way that he spoke to God. Abba, Father, intimate, vulnerable, honest. So as we pray to our Father in heaven, he invites us to lay our hearts bare, just to pour out our pain and and the questions and the struggle. If you find the image helpful, to sit at his side, to sit on his knee, knowing that he loves to hear from you. Well, thirdly, I think the third reflection that I've had is that because we can approach God as our Father, we can pray with an incredible confidence. An incredible confidence knowing that our God loves us. Jesus describes him as a heavenly father who loves to give his children good gifts. So if he gives you what you've asked for, it's not because you deserve it or because you got the formula right, you said the prayer the right way, you twisted his arm. It's because he loves you. And if we don't see the answer that we wanted, it's still because he loves you. To take us right back to that big idea, that big picture that we began with here. We pray in light of the end. We live in this time when when the kingdom of heaven, it's still to come. Jesus is very honest with us. that, that, That life this side of that new creation it will still feel so incomplete and and difficult and and frustrating in so many different ways. We still live in the midst of sin and its consequences when his heavenly rule hasn't been experienced in full. And yet we live in this time between when Jesus has brought the kingdom of heaven near and when it will come in its fullness. And he's brought it so near that, that we have a relationship with our heavenly Father through it all. And so in the complexity of where this world is, waiting for Jesus to make it right again, if God doesn't answer your prayers the way that you wanted them, it's not because he's distant or absent or forgetful or hard of hearing. It's because he loves you. 
which means that when you can't see your way through the maze of anxiety or, or illness or the complexity of life or whatever it might be, we're invited by Jesus to just pray with confidence. You, you don't need the right formula or the right question if you have the right relationship. It's about coming to God as our Father, which we can do because we come to Him with His Son, which means He loves us as His child. We need to keep wrestling with and, and just delighting in what a wonderful joy that is. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord of all creation, teach us the incredible joy of crying out to you as our Father, as our Dad in heaven. We ask this simple prayer through faith in your Son, Jesus, who died for us so that we might be welcomed as your dearly loved children.